You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute, and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and on those in the tombs, bestowing life. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. It's a blessing to be here together in this beautiful uh, Pascha week, Easter week, or known in the Christian East as Bright Week. Bright uh, Week. Illuminated by the bright light of the resurrection. Here we are preparing ourselves for the octave day of the resurrection, which is my first thing I got to, Annie, can I just, before yeah. we get into our thing, a little, a little catechesis here, okay, on, on the, on the octave day, we, it's Catholics, we hear about the octave days of things, right, we've, I, you know. Oh, yeah, I celebrate the octave of my birthday, for instance. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, in our family, because <laughs> we have seven kids, you know, we just basically, we're constant octaves, um, and, uh, but why the octave? Why an eighth day celebration? Well, simply this, that the fathers of the church tell us that Jesus, well, the scriptures tell us that, that, that God created man on the sixth day of the week, right? In the book of Genesis chapter one. And of course, the sixth day is, 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 is Friday this, and the seventh day is Saturday, the Sabbath day. And the fathers of the church uh, meditating on us say, well, look, it's it's the word of God that creates, right? It's Jesus creates the world. He created man on the sixth day of the week, which is why he went to the cross on Good Friday and gave his life for uh, for Adam, for all of us. On the day in which Adam and Eve were created, were given life. So he went down in the tomb and put our old nature, our fallen nature to death. Being the God of creation, he rested in the tomb on the seventh day. Um, and, uh, and, and then they say, and rose from the dead on the first day of the week in which, in which in the book of Genesis, uh, God says, let there be light and light shines in the world. And, and of course the radiant light of the resurrection. Um, but they said, but that day is like none other, because on that day, um, Jesus entered our human nature into the eternal day of the Lord, a day which knows no end. And so is no longer a cycle of seven days, but it is the eighth day. Um, and that eighth day now is the day that we live in as Christians have been baptized into Christ, risen from the dead. Death has been destroyed um, and um, uh, the dominion of death has been destroyed. And we have been given a newness of life. Christians don't die. We died once for all in the baptismal font. We, uh, at the end of this present life, we close our eyes to this world and then we open them to the next to behold the face of our best friend. Uh, and so the eighth day is this kind of a, this day for Christians, a day of fulfillment, a day of completion, a day of entrance into eternity. And so the eighth day, especially the eighth day of the resurrection, is um, is a beautiful day. It is traditionally the day on which is the last day that the, 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 the catechumens wear their white robes. Now, I don't know what's going on in your parishes or whatever's going on, you know, in various churches around and things like that. But but uh, but but uh, the catechumens ought to have been robed in white. Many right, churches right, do this, yeah. yeah. Robed in white um, uh, on the night of their baptism, and and traditionally they wore that garment for eight days. Cool. <laughs> Imagine by the time Sunday came around. Might try not to eat any spaghetti sauce. Sorry about the spaghetti pasta meatballs we have. Get some advice from the Dominicans on how yeah, to exactly. keep. It there clean. you go. There yeah. you go. So this was the last day that they wore their baptismal garment. And in fact, in my parish church here, I encourage people when they're coming to church the next Sunday uh, to put on their baptismal garment again, uh, or the child being brought to the church on the eighth day, if they were baptized on Pascha on Easter to, to, uh, to do that, or on in whatever Sunday it is on the eighth day to wear that, that baptismal robe again. It's the octave nice. day. So we're here, here on the octave day of Pascha of Easter, Christ is risen, and we have our first entrance here into the liturgical cycle of um, of the church for for Easter the Easter season. Yeah, 
And uh, we're going to go through these in chronological order, I believe. Yeah, we do the old turnaround here at the ICC and we go in, uh, we're going we're gonna to take a look at the gospel first, then Acts of the Apostles. Although, you know, actually Acts of the Apostles is most likely written before the gospels, which I know is kind oh, of a mind blower. You're like, what? What's that yeah. all about? Yeah, most likely because it's the life of the early church, which then, the, of course, the apostles then living in the Acts of the Apostles write down the gospel account. Sure. Right. Because the acts of the apostles is given to us for that early, but it's, but we're looking at the life of Jesus and what he taught in the gospel. So let's look at the gospel first and how the church then reacts to that reality in the acts of the apostles. So what are our biblical texts today? Okay. So we'll start with the gospel then gospel of John chapter 20 verses 19 through 31. The first reading is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. The psalm is from Psalm 118, and the epistle is the first letter of St. Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Nice. So let me flip to the Gospel of John. And I'll just, I'll just stop for a moment here because what we were talking about just now about the octave day comes up right here in the first verse so okay. open your bibles john chapter 20 verse 19 to 31 you'll notice on the evening of the first day now i'm gonna contextualize this so we can really kind of we're reading it see it through john's eyes because i want to go back to chapter 20 verse 1 now on the first day of the week. So John is very insistent on what day of the week this is. This is not Monday morning. Okay. This isn't like, yeah, I got to get to work first. No, this is not Monday morning. This is Sunday morning. is our first day of the week, which is important for us as Christians. And I think it's important for us during this Paschal Tide that, um, that, uh, that Sunday is the beginning of our week. It's not the end, right? Yeah. Sunday influences everything in front of it. We begin with the worship of God. And it's only there that we discover how we're to act out in the world, which is a beautiful thing about what we're going to see in Acts of the Apostles here. We begin with worship, and then we know how to act toward one another, because when we worship the Lord, we discover the one in whose image and likeness we're made. And it's only then we're going to discover how to live our life. Let's turn to uh, the gospel real quick. Just It's really here in John, but I'm just going to make a maybe more explicit point here in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Okay, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day. Now I'm going to turn back to John, because John says basically the same thing, right? He's all this preparation. The Sabbath is 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 at hand, right? And Mm -hmm. then they enjoy the Sabbath, and then the then and then we have the account of the resurrection. And as some point, they enjoyed that Sabbath though. Well, no, okay, I shouldn't have said enjoyed. Okay, that, whatever they 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 observed. They observed the Sabbath, but and and of um, but but if some have noticed it in Genesis chapter one, the only uh, the only day which does not have an evening is the seventh day, right? And so finally, now the the Sabbath is done, and now the evening has set, and it, and and Jesus rests in the tomb on the Sabbath day. And now the first day of the week. Okay, so the whole cycle is then complete. Okay, and then we pick that up now in John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week. um, And then in our reading also, um, we move forward um, now a week later, right? What I was looking at the, our our handout here from the USCCB. um, uh, verse nine is it verse 19 annie verse no. 19 is where we start i think it's the same right. day right oh that's on the same day yes yes of yeah. course of course and then but this we verse go 26 then, yeah verse now eight days later right yeah or as the nova as the as the electionary has it now a week later not very helpful you know the whole octave tradition so jesus is appearing He's appearing on Sundays. He's appearing on the day of the resurrection, right? It's really beautiful in this thing that keeps happening because before this in John, he was always healing on the Sabbath day. But now that Sabbath has been fulfilled, right? And he's now risen from the dead and now he begins appearing on the the Sundays. But okay, let's jump into the text now. John chapter 20, verse 19. Okay, here we go. This is John 20, 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, a week later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and bring your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief, you may have life in his name. All right, Father, so you um, you talked about when this is taking place, so mm -hmm. the day of the resurrection and then eight days later. Where is this happening? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's not made explicit there, but we're told in Acts of the Apostles, take a look at Acts of the Apostles, chapter one. Um, let's see, verse, uh, this is right after the ascension, 40 days later, right? Uh, verse 13, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. So, um, so the, the tradition is that the apostles having, you know, uh, uh, made a reservation at the Marriott of the upper room, uh, for, uh, the last supper stayed there, remained there, um, all during this period. And, I'll, and, and there's, there's reason that to believe that, that the, um, that area during the time of Christ was the Essene quarters, the, where the Essenes hung out um and the essenes were all celibates and they were living in preparation for the coming of the messiah it appears that john was either an essene or he was you know close with their community um and uh as we've talked about in other bible studies in fact if you want to kind of get into this a little bit more i'm gonna grab it was on my desk somewhere in the vicinity with all my books that are toppled over um uh um um it's where i like to keep my bookshelf too don't worry yeah who am i thinking of Bargel pixner oh Bargel yeah pixner with jesus in jerusalem for this particular period you gotta get there's two books with jesus in jerusalem with jesus in galilee if they're out of print and they're charging five hundred dollars don't go buy it but if you can pick up a copy for 20 30 bucks that's fantastic excellent book and he talks about this essene quarter and about jesus um in these kind of these weird moments in preparation when he comes into jerusalem he sends them like to get the 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 donkey to ride on or the colt to ride on right and the he's like the master has need of it yeah well what would that have been like somebody walked up to me like, oh, i'm gonna need your your car there uh, annie could i borrow the ferrari the master uh, needs it master needs it you'd be like mm, i pay a lot of money for that ferrari i'm not gonna just give it to anybody no they knew who he was and they knew who the apostles were. And so the, all of a sudden, is, and then with the upper room, the same thing. They, we have this kind of concept that they kind of go and they knock on the, uh, on the uh, you know, innkeeper's door and they like fill out the paperwork and give them their driver's license numbers and, you know, park the car in the, in the parking lot. And, the, you know, but, you know, here's your card. To, you know, the, they don't have keys anymore. Okay. No. That, that the upper room was actually in the Essene quarter. They knew who Jesus was, um, and that uh, John actually had a house there uh, in the uh, in the in the Essene quarter, which is where the Mother of God ends up dying when she's assumed into heaven. 
Uh, and, um, and so they remain there. Uh, and we've done, I, I got into this business a bit um, in my study on the appearances of the resurrected Lord. So you can go to the ICC's website, appearances of the resurrected Lord, in which I go through all the times which Jesus appears. And we go through and kind of, kind of connect them together and talk about the, um, the calendar of the Essenes at the time and how it was eight days off from the rest of the Jewish, the, 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 you know, common use calendar in Jerusalem. Yeah. So that actually the Jesus appeared to them in the upper room, in the Essene quarter on the day that the Essenes would be, would, would, would have been on the day of, of, uh, of first fruits or the day of uh, following Passover. Right. Really? Um, so he wow. like celebrates, he celebrates the resurrection all over again. Right. That's appears so to, cool. Yeah. Um, which would make a lot of sense of why he's appearing so on the Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so, Anyway, so this is in the upper room in the Essene Corner, which is the upper hill of Jerusalem. We're going to pull up a, 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 a picture of it here. You can see this is the upper hill of Jerusalem. It's even above the Temple Mount. And you'll see this church here, which has kind of like a, a cone-shaped top. That's the church of the uh, Dormition of the Mother of God, where tradition tells us that Mary died before she was carried down to the Kidron Valley to be buried. And then that's when the, the assumption took place. So you can listen to my talk on the assumption of the mother of God, also on our ICC website, in which I go over that geography, but it's right there near that spot. I mean, right. It's like right there, which is where the upper room is. Um, of course, the upper room in the building that's there today is a, is a, not a, not a, uh, you know, first century building, but nevertheless, this is the location of it. Um, and, um, and that's the area right there in Jerusalem where this is taking place. That's my long way of answering Annie, your simple question. Okay. Now I want to get into some of the stuff that's because there's so much that's going on in this. Um, first of all, why does Jesus breathe on them? Okay. Well, um, um, you'll remember, um, a number of times that this happens in the scriptures, but the first being. In Genesis chapter two, you want to flip back there, Genesis chapter two, um, verse seven, Genesis chapter two, verse seven, then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living spirit. So the breath of God, the Ruach Elohim, the, the spirit or wind of God. Now this is, I bring this point up about wind because this comes across, this comes out a number of times uh, in the scriptures in which there is a wind that blows here and there in the scriptures. And it's always interpreted by the great commentators as the breath of God, the spirit of God entering into creation, right? We see that in Genesis chapter one, verse one, there was a wind, uh, um, uh, well, well, it depends on your, on your translation. Now, my translation is this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the face of ours. Some of your Bibles might say, and there was a great wind that was moving or, it's because the word wind and spirit in Hebrew, ruach, ruach R-U-A-H, well, okay, in our alphabet, uh, is the same word, okay? And this, this, this kind of movement of the spirit of God happens multiple, multiple times throughout salvation history. Of course, the parting of the waters at the time of the flood, St. Jerome says, don't think the waters receded on their own. And it was the spirit of God which parted them just like at creation. Um, similarly in the, in the, uh, in the Exodus, I love this. Actually, this is very helpful, um, to see this relationship between the wind and the spirit in, uh, Exodus. I'm really, I don't have this written down. So you're going to have to be patient with me as I pull you over there in Exodus, uh, chapter Exodus, chapter 14, verse 19. Then the angel of God who went before the hosts moved and went behind them in the pillar of cloud uh, coming between the hosts of Egypt and the hosts of Israel. And there was a cloud and the darkness and the night passed without uh, one coming near the other, other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back. So this was the moment of the crossing, right? Um, uh, by a strong east wind. All night. So how did the how did the waters go back together? How did they part? And how did they go back together? There's this blast of wind that comes, right? Cool. 
But then when Moses sings about what happens in chapter 15, verse 8, he says, at the blast of thy nostrils, the waters piled up. Oh, wow. So do you see how the, the word wind and spirit, right? The, the idea between the spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind coming around us. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and we get this again in John. We'll just turn there very quickly. Why not? John chapter four, verse uh, eight, right after Jesus talks with Nicodemus about the uh, being born on earth and being born again, he says, verse eight, the wind blows where it wills, right? The Ruach blows where it wills and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Ruach, who is born of the spirit, who is born of the wind, right? And so in the, the kind of Hebrew mindset, you can kind of get a sense of that now coming back then to John chapter 20. Why does Jesus blow on him? Because he's God. <laughs> God and what is yeah. the result of this breathing on the apostles? What's they the result? The spirit. And they are created anew. And read me the text, Annie. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Okay, so there, so, so the action then follows, right? Why is it that this gift of the Spirit gives one this gift of forgiveness? Yeah, this is, see, do you see the connection? Well, oftentimes we disconnect these two things from one another and we start talking about the priest has the power to forgive sins because yeah, you have Protestants banging the, over the head with these verses instead of going back to more fundamental catechesis, which is that, that, that sin is the lack of the life of God in the soul. I mean, I don't know how much more basic of a definition you could come up with sin. Or if you want to talk about the a sinful act, it is an act which is not grace-filled. It's not filled with the life of God, right? It's not in accordance with our nature, which is made in the image and likeness of God, right? It's not, it's not a God way of living. It's not a God way of acting. But when one receives the spirit of God within them, they now act based upon that new nature, that new gift that they have within them. In fact, St. Peter says in his epistle, if you want to flip over there very quickly, I know we're going to all sorts of rabbit trails today, but it's Easter. It's Pascha. I mean, it, there's Christ not a season. Risen. It, it, this is a season for rabbit trails, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, Different kind of rabbit. Yeah. All right. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, um, verse 4, Annie. Well, it's verse 3 and 4, but it's the end of verse 4, the very end of verse and become partakers of the divine nature. You see that? Yeah. You can read the rest of the passage on your own, but basically, basically, Peter's saying that when we are saved, when we are born again, when we're baptized, when we receive the gift of the spirit of God within us, we receive a new nature and natures allow us to act according to that nature, right? If it's a dog, it barks. If it's a Christian, it does that, hmm. forgives sins. Now he's like, oh, Father Hezekiah, now you're going too far again because I have the gift of the spirit of God in me, but I can't hear someone's confessions. Well, there's certainly there's, there's, there, there certainly is a juridical act of confession and forgiveness of sins within the church. Yes. Um, um, however, don't discount your gift of living according to the nature of God and the power of forgiveness in your life. Because if you just discount that, well, you just don't have to forgive anybody. Right. But actually, your forgiveness of another person um, can bring about in their life a real restoration. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and we have this this foundational reality here in this gift of the spirit. And this then this this living out of that that forget not not only the forgiveness of sins, maybe and 
we always think about it in, the, in the negative, but the restoration of the person, right? The one who has the gift of life in them is restored. And therefore, they can now act the way Adam and Eve were meant to act in the very beginning by doing what God does. And what does God do? He blesses creation, fills it with his life. He does what Jesus just did. So this is what Christians do. That's why it, the church has this gift within it. Yeah, to be able to restore a man to his proper relationship with God. And that is the forgiveness of sin. Yeah. Well, I mean, we pray that in the Our Father, do we yes, not? We do. Yeah. Um, okay. So if Jesus is breathing on them and telling them to receive the Holy Spirit, how or like, what's the point of pentecost then i mean is this different from what they're receiving at pentecost yeah. what's going on here okay i think this goes along with the whole confession of sins thing because we always try to compartmentalize our theology yeah. so we've got it all figured out right all boxed up right but you don't have it all boxed up because the it is god you can't box him up yeah. right i oftentimes like i like to, to say the seven sacraments are seven ways in which god says i love you and right. this isn't father hezekiah with his burlap you know bag on waving the peace sign but no it's god is love and love is the shine of one's life with the beloved so this act which jesus does here is an act of love right he breathes on them he gives the his his spirit to them uh love is the giving of our life to the beloved no greater love has any man than to get laid on his life for his friend to give his life for his friend right this is what love is um and um and and, and so i ask you husbands wives friends priests deacons you love don't you you tell people you love them um what do you do you just say that to somebody one time did you just say hey i love you and that's it boom you're done no we say a hundred thousand ways in times you say i love you like you know and it's this is the way god works is he he loves us in so many ways and and the seven sacraments are like the premium you know lines of juice if you will right there sure. there is there is his, his love vehicles <laughs> okay <laughs> i am getting on the burlap sack because it's pasca but but no so jesus can breathe on them and give them the holy spirit and they and, and let me ask you a question let me ask you a question what do you receive when you're baptized annie i receive the life of god in me what do you receive when you receive when you when you're confirmed the life of god in me what do you receive when you go to holy confession the life of god what do you me. receive when you receive when you when you receive the eucharist so do you see this is all this is these are these are all it's all one reality god is love let me tell let me let me share with you a quotation from saint cyril of jerusalem he says this was the second time he breathed on human beings his first breath, uh, having been stifled through the willful through willful sins, but though he bestowed his grace, then he was to lavish it yet more bountifully. And he says to them, "I am ready to give it even now, but the vessel cannot yet hold it. For a while, therefore, receive as much grace as you can bear, and look forward for yet more." But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Receive it in part now, and then you shall wear it in its fullness. For the one who receives often possesses only a part of the gift, but the one who is clothed is completely enfolded by his robe. All right. So my way of saying this is yes and yes. And don't try to box in the Lord. You know, you gave it once, Lord. I'm it. Can't do it again. No okay. need. No. Our relationship is a relationship of love and love is a sharing of life. It's not a shared of life. It's a sharing. It's a constant. It's a reality. I live in the presence of the Lord. And I share my life with him and he shares his life with me. Not something past, but something present. A reality that began in the day of my baptism and continues on the rest of my life. This is what's going on here in the gospel account. Fair. Okay. So. What is it? Three times in this passage, he says, peace be with you. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Right. I think. I mean. I peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace. Be yes. Three times. So there you go. What kind of peace is he talking about? Because, I mean, 
that definitely hasn't happened. Mm. I mean, this is good because, you know, um, because so many of us live in situations with broken families. Yeah. Divided, divided, even spouses, um, uh, sadly, parents and children. Um, I mean, geez, you guys have to live with me. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, I think, a misconception that is common in our in our in our society and even in the church today. Um, and uh, and I think it's a good thing to, to, to ask ourselves the question, what is the peace of Christ? Because I don't know, people are blowing each other up in Ukraine and Russia. And isn't that evidence? In fact, Jehovah's Witness is going to knock on your door. I'm going to just talk to our vast ICC audience or participate in this Bible study. Because one of you is about to have a Jehovah's Witness knock on your door. All right. Now, the person that just had that happen to, because I do, there's a lot of people that participate in the but Somebody just had an, it had to have happened. There was a right? knock on the door. <laughs> You have to hit pause. <laughs> like, Maybe listen guy's to what father pro- has to say here before you go answer the door. Okay. Um, they're going to come to you. And then what they're going to do is they're going to show you their little magazine with a nice, nice little the lambs and the people. Everybody's living together. And does this look nice? This is this what Jesus came to give us? But, but you know, look at, look at this. And they'll hold up a picture of a priest who's like Russian Orthodox priest and a Ukrainian priest. And they're in a fight. They love to do this. And, um, and you see, this is, this is the, this is the devil working, you know, this is the church, the church is evil. This is whatever, but don't you want to join the community, the witnesses of Jehovah that, uh, you know, that we live in all in peace. Let me tell you, there's a lot of not peace going on in that community, but, um, but, but no, what is the peace of Christ? What is it? The, the peace of the angels sing out about at the nativity. Uh, and here's the mistake is that we oftentimes think of peace as calmness. And I don't think Jesus turning over the temple tables and driving people out with whips was particularly calm. But I do think Jesus has come to give us peace. So how can I reconcile these two things? What is authentic peace? I'll give you a quotation from St. John Chrysostom. What sort of peace is it that Jesus brings? And what kind of peace is it that the angels sing? Glory to God in the highest and on 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 and, and and peace on earth. If Jesus did not come to bring peace, then why did all of the prophets publish peace as good news? Because this more than anything is peace. When the disease is removed, when the cancer is cut away with the sword. Of course, the cancer they're talking about is the cancer of sin. The peace of, of the Christian is, is not one of calmness. It's not one of getting along. Jesus didn't come to dialogue with sin. He came to confront it and to destroy it. Yes, you are not made a parent, a father, or a mother so that you can be permissive to your children. You were made a father or a mother by God so that you could ensure that the cancer is cut away and the truth is revealed and holiness is found in your child. Yes. Um, so um, yeah, there look at St. Saint Apollinarius, second century. This is good stuff. Okay. The unbeliever's disagreement with the believer will produce a distinction. Since the unbelievers think that peacemaking is their proper duty. Right. Isn't this true? It's like, this is, I love this. This is, like, this is so, this guy ought to be on CNN today. Okay, because he's like, he's got to confront this nonsense. Since the unbelievers think that peacemaking is their proper duty, they say, do not believe that it is best in all circumstances to be saved, for you owe it as a duty to be be at peace with all, right? Just be nice. They have their religion and we have ours. They have truth and we have ours. Everybody get along. Yeah. Okay. But there are some that preparing for battle, that are preparing for battle against our peace. And you should not let their false peace rule. For the only true concord, the only true peace, is to be united with God. This is above all true peace. To be relocated, right? To be relocated to God, right? Rather than dislocated, relocated. 
This is peace. And no one, not you, not me, not anyone is going to find happiness in this life in false peace because false peace is of the evil one. It's of the devil. It is of the antichrist. And you can see how, how, how the, the evil one twists it, right? And so, oh, you Christians, you are filled with hatred and, and so judgmental. No, we're filled with love, authentic love, not false love, not permissiveness, not licentiousness, not license, but love, which always desires the true end of the person and the true end of the person, the, their perfection, their flowering, their happiness is always going to be found in communion with God because they were made in the image and likeness of God. And therefore you cannot find peace apart from him and apart from his way of life. Yes, yeah, so Jesus does come announce peace three times and then sends the apostles out to destroy the enemy, to take out the sword and cut out the cancer. There's my Literally comment. giving them the power to forgive the sins. Yeah, there it is. Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Okay. Can you just talk about this episode with St. Thomas? What about it? What should we make of it? Well, everybody makes him makes makes bad out of St. Thomas here. I don't like that part. I'll just say that. That, you know, I mean, he gets a bad rap, okay? The poor guy. What would you have done? I'm what wondering you... where he was on the day of the resurrection. Because he, he wasn't holed up, like, in fear with the rest of the apostles. Like, what was he? Uh, you know what I, mean? I don't know. I don't know. This is all speculation on my part. but uh, You know, I don't know. Uh, but I, I will tell you this. Then he gets a bad rap. And I guess I, I, I don't like that. You don't like to give a bad rap to the apostle except for Judas, of Judas, course. Of course. So yeah. I would take a little pen in your Bible and I would write next to that spot there about uh, verse in verse 24. I would write John chapter 11. So go, I'd put in JN 11 colon 16. This is the raising of Lazarus. Yeah. Thomas, knowing they're going to Jerusalem, says to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we might die with him. Mm -hmm. So for the faithless Thomas, the guy's got some pretty good faith. Yeah. So I just say back off. Yeah, that's my commentary on St. Thomas. Back off when you're doubting Thomas. Uh, you mean a doubting Fran, doubting Mary, doubting. Look, I'm struck with doubts all the time. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Isn't that what the father of the, the demoniac son says? I believe, Lord, mm -hmm. help my unbelief. As if you're not, you've never struggled in faith. I don't, you know, it must not be a human being. Maybe you're the fourth person of the Holy Trinity, but, but, but Thomas, Thomas doesn't understand. He's wrapped his wine around the resurrection. Well, welcome to the club. <laughs> I mean, I mean have you the, the Caravaggio painting of this. No, when um, he's, I mean, I have, but I remember the um, there's you. you All right. Well, whoa, like, whoa, whoa. We have the ability because we're on, we're pulling it up here. Go ahead. Okay. We're, good. We're pulling it up. So you see okay. Thomas and he's like, Sticking his finger in the wound of Christ. But what's interesting, Liz Lev points this out um, in when she talks about this image, that you see like a couple of the other apostles over his shoulder, like they're right there too, looking at it. Like, is it yeah. real? You know, it's like Thomas is all of them. In I, I just think it's yeah. an interesting. I mean, I obviously it's well, not like well, what about the rest here, but what about the rest of them that didn't believe? The yeah. whole time, every day, Jesus sends all these people and they're like, all, well, they're all women and, and which I love and because, you know, yeah. but, uh, but, but, um, um, yeah. And they don't believe. Mm -hmm. So what about, what about doubting Peter, yeah. doubting James, doubting Andrew? You don't call him that, do you? Stop calling him doubting Thomas, St. Thomas, the apostle who revealed to us the resurrection. Yeah. And revealed to us the bodily resurrection, by the way, which the Jehovah's Witness of your door just refused to believe in. What body? What body was he touching? What, what mouth was eating if it was just a, a, an appearance? It wasn't really the body. This is what with the Jehovah's Witnesses. This one, my head blows off, right? Here's what they say. This wasn't 
really Jesus's body. Okay. This was some kind of quasi appearance bodily, but it wasn't Jesus because once you die, you're dead. Okay. No more. All right. This is, this is the Jehovah's witnesses. And so this appearance in the body is not really Jesus. It's not really Jesus's body. Okay. Now you can go test them. When you go to the door, you go test them on this one. Um, and then, and then you got to say, well, then, well, then God's lying, right? Yeah. Because he says, point, put your finger here and see that it really is me. Right. right. Yeah. Now this would be similar to like this. I steal someone's car and I say, Hey, come get in my Ferrari. And they say, mm, I, I don't believe you have a Ferrari. Right? I go in their house. Hey, come check out, come drive my Ferrari. I don't believe you have a Ferrari. No, come on. I got a Ferrari. Trust me. And I don't believe you have a Ferrari. Look, come touch it and you can drive it. Right? It's my Ferrari. Here's my key. Boom. Now, I would be lying. It's not my Ferrari. Right? Yeah. This is what they believe Jesus did. It's That's... a big lie. Yeah. Strange stuff. Jehovah's Witnesses are very strange people. And uh, and and the whole, they, they, we don't need to spend more time on them, but let's move on because I have more to share with you and we're going to run out of time. Yeah. We got to get to, we got to get to the first reading. We got to get to Acts. We have to get to Acts of the Apostles and we're going to do it super fast. But you know what? We also have to do the responsorial psalm. Annie, I'm not letting it go. And you know what? If you don't have time to do this with us, we just really enjoyed doing a little musical interlude with you as we prepared for the passion of the Lord, as we shared a couple of Bible studies in which we actually shared some biblical music yeah. uh, with you. And I hope you appreciated that. If you did, I think you're going to like this one. So we're going to do that right now. Psalm 118, give thanks to, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his love is everlasting, for his love endureth forever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, um, of course, a responsorial psalm. It's a psalm. It's a song. It's supposed to be sung. And I hope it's sung this Sunday in your church. And if it's not, well, what can I do? But the ICC, I'm going to teach you how to sing it. So here we go. We're going to pull this up and just enjoy. This is a beautiful, um, I do believe this is a uh, Boston Byzantine choir. I'm huge fans of them. And uh, singing this psalm, uh, 118 in um or 117 uh in the septuagint counting in the byzantine tradition i hope you enjoy
Annie, I, uh, that's one of my favorite, my favorite renditions, if you will. I sing, we sing this in our Melkite church on, uh, on feast days. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's very beautiful. And, uh, but let's take a look now at the at acts of the apostles. We're not gonna have a lot of time. And I'm just gonna, we're going to read through this and then I'm going to refer you to a document, which I'm encouraging you to read. Okay. And I'll make a few comments about this, but let's, let's go. Okay. Okay. Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two. And we are starting with verse 42. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the communal life, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. 
awe came upon everyone, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their property and possessions and divide them among all, according to each one's need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple area and to breaking bread in their homes. They ate their meals with exaltation and sincerity of heart, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This, of course, is coming uh, right on the heels of, uh, of of the great day of Pentecost. It is a custom of the church in these early days, right after Pascha, to begin reading Acts of the Apostles. So we're, here we are in the Acts of the Apostles, one of the beautiful passages. But, Annie, you probably have a couple of questions, and then we need to go, 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 because we're running late. Yeah, well, I wanted to know who they were, first of all. It just says they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the communal life, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, it's it's a good question, which is always why we have to look at the context of what's going on here. Uh, the context is Pentecost, um, and on Pentecost, um, um, we see that uh, what was it three thousand, right? Yeah, verse forty-one. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. Wow. Okay. So who are they? They're the early Christians. This is the early Christian community in Jerusalem, so which these has were the a ones unique, who were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart, and they they have they have a unique gift to share with the whole church. And that is, how did they conceive of the church, and how did they live out their life as early Christians? Now, I want to be careful. We're not antiquarians. Antiquarian is a heresy that was condemned. Antiquarianism, Pius the tenth, I do believe. Pius the Tenth, I believe, condemned antiquarianism, which was prevalent at the time in his day, um, in which uh, people were saying, "Well, because it's older, it's better," mm-hmm. and therefore we got to get back to the early church, and we got to throw off all of the developments that have taken place over the centuries and get back and just everybody put on their Birkenstocks, just like Jesus wore, and uh, wave the peace flag, the rainbows, and everything, and just be. You know, all the rest of it is nonsense. Well, it's it's a it's a heresy because it denies the the uh, the the gift of the Holy Spirit, who will lead us into all truth. So the church is a growing, developing reality. Yes, or at least should be growing. Yeah, yeah. like an oak tree. Okay, um, not inventing new things, of course, because a small oak tree and a full-grown oak tree are the same reality. But has developed, yeah, and that's the vision we should have of the church. So here we have the church in very early form, but still, if we accept that the the condemnation of antiquarianism, we still can say we appreciate our grandparents, right? We 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 love the old timey stuff. We're traditionalists, and we like to get back to the early church and really taste that that those first few days. It says it tastes so good, right? It's so pure, and so yeah. And so, um, so that's who they are, and this is what they're doing. Okay. Were they communists? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. Okay. Let's be. Let's. First of all, you have to make a distinction between the church in Jerusalem and the church outside of Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem, um, it is believed the 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 tradition, uh, the early tradition of the church indicates that these guys knew they had a sense they knew that the destruction of Jerusalem was coming. That the system as of, of 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 Judaism as it existed had just been like, and the that that it's it was on its dying its its deathbed. Okay, um, uh, and you can go back and read Josephus and and the early historians on this on this business. The Christians ex- were expecting Jerusalem to fall. And so they sold all that they had because they knew it was going to be worthless anyways. That's so there's a little historical thing that's probably true. But nevertheless, there's there's a beautiful communist way of thinking about this, right? Not not really communist. No, I shouldn't say that. But a a a, a communal life that is lived. So I'm going to say no, they weren't communists. They were trinitarians. Hmm. Which will help this passage influence the way we conceive of of how we should be living as Christians. We are made in the image and likeness of God, God God who has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Uh, one God living in a communion of persons. 
which is what the church is. It is the revelation of God on earth. And, and when I say the church, I mean the community of believers living together. Our concept, or I should say our experience of the church today in many quarters is sadly lacking in one of its fundamental essential characteristics, and that is the living of a communal life. You could say, well, okay, in the mass, we kind of get together and we, we pray together and we receive communion together. But in too many places, that's the beginning and the end of it. And I think this, uh, this text gives us a model by which we might conceive of the church and test our communities based on it. Okay. Um, but I'm going beyond your question. I'll just say, I'll, I'll stop with this. They're living the Trinitarian life which is why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, I don't know, Annie, maybe I can go further than that. It seems pretty monastic, doesn't it? Like maybe not communist, but monastic in the way that they live okay. in common. Sure. Okay. Would that Here. be a fair way to address it? Maybe that's a, maybe that's a way of saying it, but I don't even want to go that far. I want to say it's, it's, it's not communist it's Christian. Yeah. But our Christian understanding of the church is so convoluted. And this is a calling home to a reality. And, and just take a look, take a look at the of, of what they did here. They devoted themselves to the instruction, the teaching of the apostles, right? The, the Didache, mm -hmm. and to the communal life, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Okay, so here's what they're doing: they're praying, they're worshiping the Lord. They're breaking bread together. Now, breaking bread, of course, in the early Christian sense, is not just passing the wonder bread around and everybody you know, getting peanut butter and jelly. And we can see this, by the way, if you, this is Acts of the Apostles traditionally written by the evangelist Luke. So if we just turn back, keep your hand there and turn back to uh, Luke chapter 20, uh, 24. Um, and when Jesus meets the guys, the road to Emmaus, and he come, they come to Emmaus, verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now, you say, well, is that, what's he doing there? Is he, was he saying like, uh, you know, bless us, O Lord, in these thy gifts, which, you no, know, when Jesus blesses something he blesses it right okay and then what happened how do we know that this is for certain the eucharist he's giving them look what happens their eyes are open and they begin to see yeah and in fact they, they witness to that um verse 35 then they told what had happened so they returned to jerusalem they told what had happened on the road and how they he was known to them in the breaking of the bread, right? So this is the Eucharistic gifts being given here in Acts chapter uh, chapter two, in which they when they are breaking, they were celebrating the Eucharistic liturgy um, in their kind of home churches, if you will, uh, and praying and living the common life because now they are encountering the Eucharistic Lord, and then they're living out His life, which is a life of communion. So what do you think this teaches? I mean, you know, we spent how many weeks of Lent talking about how these readings are for the catechumens. So now we have these new baby Catholics, so to speak. Um, what does this reading teach them and by extension us who are celebrating with them, obviously, if you're new to the church, welcome. Um, what does this teach all of us about the the true nature of the church and her mission to evangelize um it has a lot to teach us and unfortunately for time we don't have time to go too far into this but i'm gonna give you a resource now i don't like at the institute to be waving around father hezekiah's life as the model life because it's not much to model here however i have a document for you that I have on my website for my parish. So I thought I might as well share it with you and you can go grab it and read it. It's uh, written by my former bishop, Bishop Nicholas Samra, on this passage. And uh, it is kind of our mission statement. Well, we use 
Acts chapter two is our mission statement for the church, for our community. And he comments on this as the mission statement of the church. So I'm going to share my screen with you and take you over to stgeorgemelkite.org. So if you're listening to this, you're not watching, you can just go find us, St. George, Sacramento. And then as you come here about us, you can go to the welcome page. And on the welcome page, you're going to find a link, God's blueprint for being a church. God's blueprint for being a church. And you can print off this blueprint, which is, lo and behold, commentary on this exact passage. Nice. Okay. So I'll stop sharing now. But basically, they lived a community. They were a community of worship, a community of learning, a community of shared life, a community of shared service, a community within the apostolic ministry, which is evangelization, which is how he lays out these divisions. They worship the Lord. They live in common with one another. They don't treat the church like a vending machine. They look to the needs of one another. And I'll, I'll just maybe leave you with this. We always have these great programs for evangelization in the church. People aren't converted by programs. They're converted by Jesus Christ. You want a program that works, worship the Lord. Then, having worshiped the Lord, establish a, a, a common life within your community. And having established that common life within your community, it will spill out of your community to the evangelization of those outside of it because they will see how you're living. Because Jesus didn't say they're going to know you're a Christian because of your program. He said you know you're a Christian because of your love for one another, which is my last thing I have to say about this, because we have all sorts of programs for feeding the poor and taking care of the needy and evangelizing the heathen in the church and all this stuff. My brothers and sisters, they were first and foremost worried about those that were in need within the community. That's not to say they didn't care about those outside the community, but they could only concern themselves with that if this was healthy. You want to get that fixed? Get this fixed. As Pope Benedict said, he says, without a doubt, a mending of the fabric of society is urgently needed in all parts of the world. Right? He's looking at it. He says, we're going to hell in a handbasket. Ain't looking so good out there. And then he says this, but for this to come about, for that to be solved, for the president of the United States to actually be a Catholic instead of an apostate, For this to come about, what is needed is to first remake the fabric of the ecclesial community itself. Solve that, and you'll solve that, because that's not getting light unless this is shining it. So, my brothers and sisters, members of the Institute of Catholic Culture, read that document I just shared with you from Bishop Nicholas. Meditate on what Pope Benedict is saying, and ask yourself, if you are actively working to refashion, to uh, mend, he says, the fabric of the church. And that doesn't mean fixing what's going on in Rome or fixing on what's going on in Germany or whatever. Your church, St. Mary's, St. Veronica's, St. George, your church community, is it? bound together, knit together, serving one another, loving one another, helping those who are in need within the community, serving the widows, uh, uh, taking food to the pregnant, uh, going to the hospital for members of your community. Are you living together as a family in the image and likeness of the Holy Trinity? And if not, you got to do something about it. And I'm going to give you one practical way to do it. And that is get out the old coffee machine and roll it out in front of your church and stop people from leaving and give them a cup of coffee so that they can stay around and get to know one another again and meet one another again. And then start inviting members of your community to your home again and get invited by them to their home again. Start doing Bible studies together. You're doing the Institute by yourself. You're doing the Institute all wrong. Share with them what you're learning. Become an evangelist in your community there at the doors of your church. Just ite, mise, est. Just speaking with my children about this. He says, because we're Byzantine, we don't have that part in our mass. Okay, the end of it, right? And, and my son says, dad, isn't it funny that they say at the end, the mass is ended and everybody says, 
thank God. <laughs> he's, a t- he's a teenager. He's a teenager. And I said, I said, yeah, son, it's a bad translation. Ite means it means it is sent forth. Thank God we're going out now, having received this. We're going to go out, and where when we step outside this door, what we've received here is now going to be lived out in this communion that we have with one another because of the communion we received in here. That's what we get in Acts of the Apostles chapter 2. Annie, we are out of time. Read the epistle on your own. It's absolutely beautiful about baptism, about the new life that God has given us. The passage, Annie, just so we make sure we write it down. First Peter chapter 1, verses <clears throat> 3 through 9. There you go. May God bless you on this beautiful day of the resurrection. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.